Will we be the filtered or the filtrate? This is The Great Filter. The earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Chief Xiao. Quick side note before we move on to the topic of this episode. Uh, the quote, Chief Xiao, I am sure I'm slaughtering the name and I deeply apologize for that. But a quick fact, <laughs> um, the city of Seattle was actually named after this man. So Xiao is the original pronunciation. I'm going to include an audio clip in just a second so you can hear the proper pronunciation all the same, he was a Suquamish and Duwamish chief. Um, I'm also going to post a link to the audio source, so you can check that out if, uh, if that interests you. All right, you ready? <sighs> Climate change. Yeah. Okay, well, what do you guys think? Do you think we are in the midst of of a climate catastrophe or do you think uh, the science is being misunderstood or the numbers are being misinterpreted um i for one I'm, I'm going to have to go by default with the science it appears that the climate is changing it appears that things are getting warmer and i'm i mean dear god this is one of the hottest summers i can remember um that being said, oh man, I really hope that this is not one of the instances where mainstream science has got something wrong. Because when science gets something wrong, it's for one of two reasons. Uh, the first one is sloppy science, just bad science all around. And that, in this case, would be really concerning. And the second reason, of course, would be is if uh, the research was intentionally uh, misdirecting. If the researchers, for some reason, for you know one reason or another, got together and all decided to publish these facts and figures and, and publish this research with the intention of deceiving whoever read it. And if that's the case, man... I, I don't know. That would indicate something seriously wrong with so many different aspects of of our lives, of the scientific community, of how information is propagated. It would just, ugh, I, I, I really hope, and neither of those is the case. Um, actually, I really hope climate change wasn't the case. Well, huh. Man, that's kind of a catch-22, catch isn't it? Uh, on the one hand, if they are lying, then climate change is not real. And, hey, good, we, we haven't totally fucked our world up. On the other hand, if, uh, if it is bad science or if they are intentionally lying about, about the state of, state of the planet, that's, that's really, really bad, too. I mean, they're, they're both super detrimental to our society in a vast many number of ways. But being that climate change is probably the more severe, 
I think I could at least deal with a little bit of bad science. Okay, but so for for this for this conversation, for this topic, we're going to assume that climate change is a fact. However, if you think it's not real, um, if you, you know, believe that this is some sort of conspiracy, um, I, I would ask you to hang in there and uh, let, let's, let's roll through some of this because a lot of what I'm going to say is still extremely relevant to so many different aspects of our lives. Um, now, if somebody developed a quick and easy way to sustain the temperature around the Earth, to, to regulate the temperature, um, off-gas the heat in some, I guess not off-gas, but, you know, irradiate the heat out into space that wasn't, that wasn't necessary, some way to just totally control the climate of our planet. I, I think I would be really apprehensive about such a plan. For one, it would... It'd just be a band-aid. It would be like we didn't learn our lesson. We haven't learned from uh, from the tremendously poor choices we've made as a just as a whole planet, as a people. And the second the second thing that would I think make me feel a little bit trepidatious about this is that now we have some sort of machine, some sort of powerful system that can alter, you know, the, the climate of the earth while we are still in this mode of, of having the financial drive kind of dictate our course of action as, as a species. And, you know, I don't know if <laughs> I really need to explain that one, but I really don't see anything good about that. I don't see anything benign kind of coming from that either I, it just spells disaster when you have profit motive deeply you know entrenched into into a society and some company or government has access to or owns this big network of satellites or whatever it is that is capable of totally altering the weather of the planet altering the climate changing wind speeds, changing temperatures, that is just, to me, that just doesn't sound like a good idea. But, you know, all the same, that's currently, that is science fiction. That's not something we are capable of. That's not something we even have a whole handle on how that, how that might even possibly work. So instead of, you know, going off on a tangent that is uh, something we probably shouldn't even worry about <laughs> at this point, um, let, let's kind of dig back into what exactly the issues are that have led us to this point, that have gotten us to this point to where we've actually caused the, the climate of our entire planet to begin to shift and change just because of, you know, the actions and habits of one single species. All right. So first, uh, let's talk about science. Fucking love science. But um, as I have said multiple times before, when it's not done correctly, it can, you know, cause problems. So we have an incredibly industrious species. We make amazing things. We build tall, fascinating structures. 
as far as a science of creating things goes, we're doing pretty well. We're trucking along pretty fast. We're learning new things. We're developing new techniques. And we're doing some pretty amazing things in the lab. But it, it's only recently that material engineers, material scientists, and, and chemical engineers have begun to take a more proactive approach for uh, creating materials and, and chemicals that are friendly to the environment, that are eco-friendly. But, but it's not everybody that's doing that. And a lot of this research is done in university or done in the university laboratory environment. This isn't something that um, companies typically go out of the way to, to, you know, invest money into. Now, you'll off, often hear, you know, better, faster, cheaper. That is a real drive in, in the world economy. And the financial drive does play a huge role in how materials are designed, how quickly they're produced, what materials are chosen to mass produce, and, you know, eventually what, what lands in our homes, the, the materials in, in the boxes, the materials in our products, the materials that, you know, really spell out just about everything we interact with on a daily basis. Okay. Now, before I really go any further, I'm going to take you on a bit of a tangent. It's going to be two tangents deep. So just, um, <laughs> just preparing for you that or preparing you for that ahead of time, just so you know that we're going to get back here. It's just going to be, you know, a two, a two, uh, Two-tier tangent. Two-tier tangent, sure. All right. I, I kind of wanted to, I guess, illustrate that this is one of the reasons why we have so much shit food, why there are so many processed consumables. I mean, think about the history of the evolution of uh, sugar, um, high-fructose corn syrup, all the preservatives and additives that are in our food. And for that matter, what they label these things on the, on the products themselves, on the boxes, the labels, what they tell us is inside the food. Okay. So this is our, our second tier, our second tangent here. Uh, this is a really short one, but we're going to get right back to the food. Why does the FDA allow misleading labels? That's, Really not a question. <laughs> I mean, I think we all know the reason for that. This literally is a money game. The reason why the FDA has allowed things like natural flavors and um, natural coloring and all of that kind of kind of stuff, and why there are sometimes hundreds of different names for the same chemical compound that you can find on a label is it's not just happenstance. It's not just something that just, you know, just kind of happened or whatever. This is how it is. It's not even close to that. That has been specifically orchestrated to confuse people by the food companies. And it's not anything that's like, you know, a conspiracy or anything. This is like the fact. This is something that we have known for a long time. This is how it works. The FDA literally gets lobbied to allow different terms and different things to be in the food. And so we end up with uh, things that confuse consumers. So 
Again, profit motive. Okay, so back to, you know, the sugars, high fructose, corn syrups, preservatives, and all that stuff. Um, so the financial motive pushes us into this weird little corner. And let's kind of explain this from, I guess, from the perspective of what a food company or a, or a chemical company might, might, might see in, you know, attempting to, to develop a new chemical for, for whatever. Um, it could be a new, a new sweetener, right? It could be, um, a cheaper way to produce, uh, some sort of sugar or some sort of sugar substitute or, it could be a new type of preservative or whatever. Now, the reason companies produce these is first and foremost to make money. It's not, it's not so that they can really preserve the food. It's not because they're really worried about making sure that food lasts in your refrigerator. I'm pretty sure they like really don't care about that. Um, I, the, you know, the main reason is to make money. That's why the company exists. That's why the company was, was created and founded and built. It was because, um, they wanted to make money doing something that they like until, until it got out of control. And now it's just a money making machine and it's whole, you know, like what I said before, it's just a survival machine. It's there to just survive and make money and continue. But let's think about the production process of, let's say, um, a new preservative. Okay. So let's say that, um, a new paper was recently, recently published and, um, it has identified a new compound in, let's say pine trees. Okay. And this new compound appears to have to be able to preserve certain types of compounds for an extended period of time. And the reason why they discovered this was because of a, a fossil that they found with this compound or whatever, you know, whatever the, the case may be, they, Oh, Hey, this could be a really good preservative. You know, that's, that's their thought process. Let's investigate that. So they start off with a, with a, you know, hypothesis. They have, they have an idea of what a possible, um, a uh, preservative preservative could be or that a chemical might be able to be you know tweaked a little bit to be used as a preservative and so there's a logical foundation there and so they begin to pour money into this into the development of this new preservative so they you know come up with several different permutations of of this chemical you know different compositions and structures but all kind of oriented around the ba same basic structure. They've, you know, added an atom here, taken an atom there, thrown on a, you know, a new uh, uh, ethyl group here and there or whatever. And then they begin to, you know, they, so they come up with a line of, of all these different members of the family of this, of this one chemical. And so now they put all of those through the ringer and... Uh, they, they test each one to see what its um, ability to preserve uh, some certain type of food or, or, you know, whatever. And so they test this whole, this whole array of these different chemicals and say only, you know, like 10 to 15 of them turn out to actually 
have this preservative effect. So they gather those and they go through um, animal trials, right? They, they use some mice and, and they push it through the mice and, you know, say only three of them didn't kill the mice. Okay, so now they have three chemicals that they can work with and they um, start testing these on um, or doing longer, you know, longer, longer term studies. And then they, they sometimes will do uh, chimpanzees or something that's more closely related to humans. And then finally, they'll, they'll do a human trial and, and they'll um, give small doses to people after it's been deemed somewhat safe. So they do the human trials, and and now it's at this point where where we have the possibility of a little bit of bad science. Now, let's say the initial discovery gave the company the idea, or the researchers the idea, that this chemical, or some variation of it, has the potential for really extending the shelf life of whatever. So the initial value analysis of what this chemical's potential is as far as being a preservative is is pretty high up there it's it could really change a lot of things and so for that reason the company is willing to put a little bit more money into its production just you know a little bit more than usual because it really does have a very unique property and it actually has a lot of potential and this process you know, depending on the complexity and the amount of time it takes, can end up being an extremely expensive uh, venture for this company. So let's say we're down to our last three candidates. We're in human trials, and and two of the chemicals immediately begin to make people sick. So they've got to drop those two chemicals. It, even though it worked all the way up until that point, there's something in humans that that, you know, it doesn't agree with the human. So they toss those two and they've got one left, one option left. Um, so the longer term studies actually shows that it is causing problems. And we're not sure about the extent of that problem. Okay, now it's at this point where the question of whether or not the company that is investigating this, um, this new probable preservative is going to try to save the money they spent on the investigation of this new um, chemical. Now, it really depends on how much money is spent, but th the problem here is that there is the possibility, which unfortunately happens more than it should, that uh, because of the amount of money that was spent on designing this, that was spent investigating uh, this chemical and its properties and, and its different um, variations. To lose that money, especially in the face of the investors that, you know, that they've gone to and they've talked this chemical up, they've shown all the promise that it has. So, you know, with, with all this pressure and all this craziness and all the money they spent on this, now they have a dud. Now they've got a chemical that they simply can't do anything with it. So what are they going to do? Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for them to go ahead and, you know, just tweak the numbers a little bit, make it look like, you know, there, there could be a couple of reactions, but we're just, we'll just make it known that it's, you know, that, 
people who have this sort of allergy should watch out for it or whatever. And they push it at the FDA and, you know, get it into food as an amazing new preservative that can keep your jar of mayo fresh for 10 years or whatever, right? Okay, so that's an example of what could go wrong. But, and yes, this does have to do with climate change, and I will explain it all in a minute. But, but what is not often considered is of all the possible synthetic chemicals and material like compositions, right? What is the likelihood that something will be safe for humans? Well, in order to answer this question, or at least give a general kind of idea of where the figure is, we have to take something into consideration. And this is kind of where this gets a little crazy. First, how many systems in the body are filled with chemicals and enzymes and proteins and whatever, you know, what have you, that are highly reactive? Well, all of them. I mean, there are so many different elements of the human body. It is such a crazy little zoo of chemicals that they're all room temperature reactions. Everything in the body is a room temperature reaction, which is crazy. But I mean, they have to be in order to have life, or at least in order to have the kind of life that we are, you know, that we are aware of here on our planet. You have to have large systems that are capable of an enormous amount of room temperature chemical reactions. Now, of all possible chemicals and materials and you know including other um other proteins and and just everything of all possible materials how many of those would really be inert would really not have an effect on the human body i mean just statistically it would be such a small percentage the body is, um, you know, it's a chemical machine. That's what it does. It reacts with things. It uses things. It breaks things down. The, the number of these materials that would literally be safe passing through the human body without causing any sort of unwanted side effect is an extremely low number. And on top of that, most of the materials we desire, most of the materials that we find to be useful are desirable because they are reactive to something somehow but the desirable ones are reactive in ways that are beneficial ways that are good for us ways that you know that we find to be agreeable to <laughs> to life and health right so think about this for a company to truly truly honestly find absolutely safe materials, something safe to use as coloring or as preservatives or whatever other function, you know, you, you want from it, depending on what function you want from it. The number of trials and studies they would have to be do, they would have to do would be so astronomically insanely large that they would go bankrupt 
before they could ever find a viable chemical to do the job that 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 you know they're investigating and keep people safe now granted a lot of these chemists and a lot of these um, material engineers are really smart people and they know you know different families of chemicals and different families of of proteins and kind of kind of have a general idea of of what it may or may not do or what kind of side effects we might see from it you know it's it's not like i mean f- for the most part not for the most part but it, it wouldn't be uncommon for um for one of these engineers to you know take a look at a chemical and be like oh no we can't even use that i already know what that would do right so the the range of time any one te- chemical would take would be specific to that chemical because it would be something new or something we already know or something we already know that it would have an effect that you already know that that's got you know whatever valence and it's already going to have some sort of reaction with um the hemoglobin and yeah that would be catastrophic it would kill somebody so yeah we're not even going to investigate that one toss it out it could be anywhere from that all the way up to you know spending the next 15 years running trial after trial after trial trying to figure out if this thing was safe but here's the thing let's say they hit the gold mine they nail it this thing is the most badass preservative ever we ran through all the trials we did all the human trials and this is categorically one of the safest substances humans will ever come face to face with i mean this thing is awesome not only does it extend your shelf life for almost anything but it doesn't even touch anything else in the human body it passes right through doesn't alter anything doesn't mess with any of any of your uh, flora it doesn't do anything crazy it is the most benign chemical ever to have been found that can preserve things for such an extended period of time right so this thing's beautiful awesome great well that's just that step of it i mean where, where does it go after after a human excretes it it goes into the toilet okay where does that go well it goes out into you know the treatment plant and then it gets filtered or whatever and goes out into the environment at some point it ends up back into the environment let's say let's say the treatment plant doesn't you know uh it isn't capable of extracting this how is it going to act or uh, react with the environment how is it going to have an effect on animals or on bacteria out in the ocean does it break down easily does it react with anything out there and if it does what are the byproducts what does it break down into are those safe i mean we're talking about so many studies that it's mind-boggling so much money would have to go into providing something that is totally benign from a to z that's a huge problem when you're dealing with a profit incentive with the profit motive with the one thing that drives our entire economy so 
Let me ask you, how likely, how likely do you think any one materials or chemical company is to go out of the way to spend billions and billions of dollars just to find the perfect substance that is benign on all fronts, yet does exactly the job it is intended to do. I mean, can you really say even one of them is willing to do that? I don't even think any one of them has enough money to do that. And we're just talking about, you know, one silly little preservative here. I mean, we can go down the fucking list, dude. Fuels, uh, fuel additives, sweeteners, um, industrial lubricants, uh, industrial cleaners, pesticides, pharmacology, medications, right? Um, cosmetics, uh, pigments, um, paints, um, aromatic compounds for like perfumes and shit, uh, ice remover, adhesives. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, I mean, electronic devices, right? Then the, the materials used in electronics. I mean, it just doesn't stop. How fucking confident are we that these companies are being as meticulous as possible and being as safe as possible and not dumping and not trying to cut corners and not trying to push products that if they don't get that through, they're going to have to close their doors. How confident are we that that, that is the case? It's not that we don't value our world. It's not that we don't value our environment and the balance of, of the ecological systems around us. It's that underneath the purview of the, our, our current economic system, underneath this system where money literally dictates everything that we do and the financial drive is the only thing that will dictate whether or not a, um, a, a, a material or a chemical is investigated thoroughly. We simply do not have the resources necessary to do it when the value of such an investigation is wholly dictated by the financial drive instead of our natural desire to be safe and healthy and our desire to fulfill our ecological and environmental responsibilities. I mean, just think about all the polluting we do every single day, all of the stupid fucking things that we do continually on a daily basis. Um, think of all of the packaging, packaging everywhere. Everything is in packages, right? Why? So they can put their little fucking pictures on it that make it look cool, make it so you want to buy it? Like, what the fuck is that? I simply don't understand. Oh, my God. It irks me to, to no end when I have to open packages to get to the product that I need. And then I have to take this big wad of paper and cardboard and glue and staples and plastic wrapping and twisties and all that shit and throw it in the recycle bin. I mean, for what? Why? What part of that 
other than making sure it's safe in transport, what part of all the other shit is even necessary? Most, most instruction manuals can be found online these days, right? I don't need a pretty fucking picture on a box for me to want an item. I try to be as careful as I can when purchasing in, in this manner. And I still fill up my garbage can at least once a day. Like, and I hate it. I just, I fucking hate it. It's, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm part of the sickness. And in, in a way I am. The same, the same goes for gas. I hate driving. Not just because I hate driving, but because I hate being out there on the freeway and on the road and seeing all the other cars out there just burning gas, just pouring out pollution and just fucking up our system. It is so disturbing to me. And I mean, just the feeling of knowing that we were just slowly slaughtering our planet and knowing for a fact that the vehicle I am driving is a part of that and knowing that I am almost forced to do that just so that I can live, just so that I can get my daughter to her doctor's appointments, just so that I can, you know, that my wife can get to work. Like, like we are being forced to do this. It's, and why? Money. I mean, it's all fucking money, dude. It all comes down to money. It really does. There are so many other ways to motivate people. Money is like the least best way to do it. it we, there are studies that show this, that money is not a good motivator. It simply is not. It, it never has been. Think about our, our wasteful behaviors at home. I, me, I myself, I'm looking out my, out my uh, door and the, the hall light is on. What, why the fuck is the hall light on? Actually, one second, hold on. Not only was the hall light on, but the bathroom light was on and the fan in the bathroom was on and the garage door was open. And, and <laughs> that's, that's coming from somebody who, literally tries to be as careful about this kind of stuff as possible. How many, how many of us have these, these habits, right? That, that we're, we're just so used to wasting energy, heating, cooling, uh, electricity, leaving your computer on all night, leaving your laptop on all night, leaving the TV going while you sleep. How many of us do this? I, I can bet you, a fucking shit ton of us. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? And here's the kicker. Why do we have these, why do we have these habits? Well, because man, I just pay for it. You know, it's not that expensive, right? <laughs> do you see how toxic this shit is? The idea of money itself, the very idea of money itself, what it represents, what it does, entitles us.
and it separates us. It, it hijacks our natural motivations for survival and for care and for community. And it distances us from, oh, so many natural consequences that we would otherwise have to suffer directly. Instead, we have the cushion. We have the, the value that distances us from, from that. And we kind of take this sort of macabre comfort in, in knowing that we don't have to face those consequences, you know, that it's something that we can just pay for. That's it. We'll just pay for it. And on top of all of that, it enables the sociopaths to utilize this, this value, the money, right? To control us and persuade us and get us to do what they want us to do. That's, that's not how things are supposed to work. It's not. It's not healthy, psychologically or physically. And it's, it's not constructive. It, it corrupts us. It cheapens us. It demeans us. The, the destructive, corrosive properties of, a, of utilizing a currency far outweighs and exceeds any sort of utility it could ever possibly provide. So if you want to talk about climate change, pollution, the environment, how the fuck are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole? <laughs> uh, until we are willing to have that conversation and to consider entirely new methods and platforms for resource allocation and distribution, if we think we're going to be able to solve this problem without somehow ditching money or at least ditching the poisonous aspects of money, we have literally no right to complain. We have no platform upon which we can stand and bitch about this. So, sorry to uh, end this on such a um, <laughs> kind of a sour down note, but I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'll uh, see you guys next time and be safe. Be, be conscientious and, you know, be, be the change you want to see. In the interest of transparency, the Great Filter Podcast is a Phobos Tech production. All proceeds go to funding the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support by sharing, liking, and subscribing. You may also help support our efforts with a small monthly donation. Thanks.